everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Racy, and we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow. How are you growing this week? You know, we are kind of in a spring cleaning mindset around here. We've been planning our projects for outside when it warms up a little bit. We have been doing some organization, and I just feel like we've, in general, been getting our house together. So that's been good. I'm going to send you this article that I read on BuzzFeed yesterday. It was like 50-something ways to like clean things in your house and like all these products that were ones I had never heard of, including one that actually is a power tool attachment, Oh, but it's like a, it's like cleaning brushes. Oh, interesting. I mean, not that I need more to clean because I feel like I have tons <laughs> to do, but it sounds fun. What about you? Honestly, I don't know if I have really been doing anything specific this past week. Mostly, I've just been trying to like mentally and emotionally prepare myself to going back to school because yeah. it starts tomorrow. <laughs> How are you feeling about it? I think it'll be good, but... I also think it's going to be a pretty rough transition for the adults and for the children. I'm just so not used to getting up early anymore. I like wake up 20 or 30 minutes before I have to like be at work. Right. The only thing I'm looking forward to is having a commute again solely for the purpose of listening to like podcasts and books. Yeah. I listen to a lot less audio content now that I'm home all the time. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. But this morning when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, I'm going to lose a lot of time though. Like now it's like, oh, I have to get up earlier to get ready to then drive to work. And then I'll be at work all day. And then I'll have my commute home. And then I need to go to bed earlier because I'm getting up earlier. So I feel like I'm like going to lose a lot of time. Seems like a waste of time a little bit too, huh? Yeah. Especially since we've been doing this for a year and it's been like kind of okay. And I feel like we finally figured out how to do it. So yeah, some some mixed emotions. I'm anticipating a rough few weeks. And then by the time you're adjusted, the school year will be over. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, we have spring break in like two weeks. So Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't just wait until after spring break. But that literally makes no sense. It doesn't, but you know, whatever. The powers that be have uh, have made their choices. So here we are. All right. Well, so today we are talking about avoidance behaviors and numbing behaviors, which is something we are both very familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anna and I both tend to be pretty avoidant people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were talking about it the other day. And it's interesting to think about the fact that people are able to cope differently and not avoid things that are hard for them because for us, there's no not avoiding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty mind blowing to me that people handle situations differently than I do, which is not handle them. Yeah. In all areas of life, they can actually just deal with things. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Not all heroes wear capes, you know? <laughs> well, and it's interesting because, you know, we all develop coping strategies when we're kids and kind of based off of our life experiences. And because I work with a lot of kids that have trauma backgrounds, the way that they cope and they process things like completely makes sense because of what they've been through. And at the time when they're children, it's very much like a way 
to survive. And that makes sense. And it is working for them. And that's fine. Like even when we're teaching kids new coping skills that maybe are a little bit healthier than what they're doing, we don't want to take away the coping skill that they're already using until they fully understand and are able to use this new one because then they have nothing. Can you give me some examples of like common coping mechanisms that you see in kids? Yeah. Escape and like avoidance is a big one. Like in schools, it could be hiding under the desk or just refusing to speak. It could be running out of the classroom, which in Oregon they call elopement, which is funny to me because I had never heard that term before. Interesting. here. I was like, they run off and get married? What? <laughs> um, some can be, like for some kids that maybe struggle with reading or any academic task, when it's time to do that task, they will spend a lot of time picking out a book versus actually just trying to read or um, talking to the teacher a lot and asking a lot of questions. Which is its own type of avoidance. Yeah, absolutely. But it makes sense. Or kids acting out when when it's time for them to do a subject that they don't like mm-hmm. or that's difficult for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the behaviors really fall into the like escaping avoidance category. And then there are some that are like attention seeking. It really just kind of depends like what they are getting out of it. And that's how we determine like what's the function of this behavior. But, you know, like I said, like developing these coping strategies when they're young, it makes sense for their reasoning. But the problem is that if you aren't ever taught a different way to do it, you carry those over into adulthood when they aren't really necessary anymore. But it's so hard to get rid of them because at that point, they're just a habit. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you guys teach them to replace the unhealthy uh, strategies? I mean, it really just depends on the function, which is a big part of my job is like figuring out why they are doing certain things. And so if a kid is avoiding reading because they aren't good at it and maybe they're embarrassed or they feel shame about that or it could be pulling that kid out of class to read with somebody else so that they don't have to struggle in front of their peers or finding books that are super super interesting to them like maybe it's a star wars book it's a lot of showing them that there's not anything they can do that's going to make us go away or stop caring about them yeah and that might be sometimes like giving them space but not really like leaving or sometimes when kids have like major, major tantrums, not holding that against them. Isn't that what we all want? It really is. It works <laughs> wonders. <laughs> not to be left alone. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a definitely a slow process, but just kind of showing kids that everything that they're trying to do to protect themselves isn't actually necessary. Yeah. We're not here to hurt them or like whatever their experiences are and the reason that they believe these things like aren't true for every single person that they come into contact with. Sure. So yeah, forgiven and forgetting and moving on and a lot of corrective experiences. Yeah, that makes sense. What would you say that your personal coping tendencies are? My biggest one is definitely avoidance and then probably some level of numbing that has been pointed out to me by therapists, but is not something that I'm conscious that I do. Recently, my therapist told me that I'm really, really good at knowing what my feelings are, but really bad at feeling my feelings. <laughs> because you don't like to feel them. No, I really don't. I Any feeling that I perceive as a negative feeling, 
even though like logically, I don't think any feeling is like bad, but I, I just very much reject any feeling that is negative or makes me feel any way other than happy or calm or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of avoidance, a lot of like dissociating from my feelings. I think it's like, I don't cry really ever, (laughs) which is insane to me. (laughs) I know. I know. It's funny because yeah, like you're, you are like a big crier. Is that, is that an okay way to phrase it? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I definitely cry at not the drop of a hat, but it's pretty easy for me to cry. Mm -hmm. Sad commercial tears. Well, in those types of things, sometimes if it's an emotional experience that I'm like watching on TV, that's easier for me to get in touch with. But if I'm talking about myself, I am like super cut off. Sometimes I wish I could be like that because I don't always have control over whether I can stop myself, Mm -hmm. which is its own type of like unhealthy. Sure. So what would you say you do to numb and what do you do to avoid your feelings? I think for... Avoiding is probably obsessively cleaning. Hmm. That's a big one for me. I mean, that's a productive one, at least. It is, yeah. (laughs) Um, I would say sometimes talking about my problem almost obsessively to somebody who I know is going to validate my feelings, but not ever addressing the issue with the actual other person that's involved. I see. Um, Because it's like a way for me to get my needs met in a way without actually having to engage in conflict. Yeah. But I think that also contributes to something else that my therapist said recently about not completing cycles where like an event will happen and then I will have some type of emotional reaction to it or thoughts and feelings and et cetera, but I never process it or address it or whatever. I like, I stop myself in the cycle and then it shows up in other ways because I haven't gone through that. Yeah. I totally believe that. At least for me, if, if I have something specific happen that I, especially if I'm avoiding confrontation with a specific person and I really just don't want to have that conversation, Mm -hmm. then I never, get over it. I mean, we've talked about that. I'm not good at forgiving people, especially if I never address that we had a problem in the first place. Yeah. Well, and then with those situations, do you ever then get mad at yourself for like not bringing it up because you're like, well, it's my fault that I still feel this way because I didn't say anything. I don't think I'm overly harsh on myself about that. No. Okay. I am. I'm like super critical when it's like, especially if it's something that's like building on itself. And I'm like, oh, well, I can't bring this up now because then I would have to talk about all these other things. And that's not really fair because I never brought it up. So. Yeah, I can see how that would be, or, be the case. Yeah. And it's also probably a way for me to continue avoiding things. <laughs> I mean, sure. I think with numbing, the number one thing that I do without trying is just like dissociating and like failing to access my feelings because it's just like feels overwhelming mm-hmm. to think about. To even think about doing that and uh, allowing myself to like fully feel everything. And that's, um, yeah, I've been told before that I would probably be a crier if I allowed myself to be. (laughs) I feel sure that's true. Yeah. Um, What about you? What do you feel like your coping strategies look like? I mean, obviously I'm very avoidant. I think for me that looks like 
basically doing whatever I can to not think about what I don't want to think about. And that could be watching TV, um, listening to podcasts, reading books. Like it's often mental exercises that could seem like they're fine, healthy, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm using them in a way that I know there's something that I need to work through or like think about or address and I just don't want to do it. So I avoid thinking about it at all costs. And then if I don't think about it, then I'm like, oh, of course I haven't processed it. It's not a big deal. I'll get to it eventually. Mm. So you also are using that as a way to like justify. Yes. Not addressing it. Because you're like, oh, I see. I didn't think about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like I didn't think about it. I'm not like not processing it because I am choosing not to. I just never thought about it. So it's not my fault. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Definitely not good. Here we are. Um, Yeah. Another avoidance one that that makes me think of is I have to like listen to something to fall asleep. Oh, is that an avoidant behavior for you? Well, it's because my mind just races. Like I can't stop thinking about stuff and I don't, I don't know, maybe it's not, but maybe it is because it's like, oh, if I were to like process everything in my life or something, like maybe I wouldn't be like laying in bed thinking about stuff. So I really, I have to like focus on a show or sometimes a podcast, like I have to be like fully, I have to force myself to really listen so that I can stop thinking about stuff and fall asleep. Yeah. I used to be exactly like that until the last year or so. And it it's exactly what you said. Like I just, I needed to be able to have something in the back of my mind so that my mind didn't, it didn't have anxious thoughts that were would keep me up. Mm-hmm. Just that like, even running through lists of things that needed to be done the next day, it was just like I yeah. couldn't turn my brain off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And then it becomes a habit and it's harder to break the habit. Yeah. Plus, I'm just – I love to sleep with the TV on, even now. I can do I can do without it, but I just really like it. I I like to have the noise, but I I hate the light. Yeah, that's how Seb is. Yeah. If Maybe TVs need to create a feature where you could turn the picture off and just have the sound. That's a great idea. Yeah, I'd probably oh do that. TV companies call us. <laughs> <laughs> Got some good ideas for you. When did you realize that you were doing things like numb or avoid your feelings? Do you remember? Yeah, I think I probably learned about it simultaneously with like when I was in grad school and in therapy for the first time. Mm. Because it really is something that I I think I've probably been doing like pretty much my whole life. And I just didn't know that it, I don't know. I just thought it was like part of who I am, like not something that's like serving me in some way. Yeah. What about you? I remember when I first started learning about meditation and like your neurological pathways and how you can rewrite them and things like that. I realized that I was basically filling all of my time with noise. Like there was not a time in my day that was quiet. I listened to stuff in the shower while I cooked in the car. Like I was literally not giving my brain any time to just be quiet. And I realized that that was not healthy at all. Like it was really actually very bad for me. And so I started, you know, trying to make just even a few minutes in my day to have some quiet and it made a big difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's funny that you say that because I had been going to acupuncture for a while when I first moved out here. And I remember saying to her after like a few sessions, I was like, this is the only 
time in my whole day and like my whole week that I sit in a quiet room. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. Like I, if I had been, if I could have snuck in headphones somehow, <laughs> like, or um, had my phone out in some way to listen to a podcast or something, I absolutely would have done it. And those experiences should be relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you got needles in your body, so it's that's like- true. It's a little <laughs> bit painful, but I think it was. It no, it was relaxing, but it. I just wasn't used to giving my brain an hour to just think about whatever. Yeah. And how unhealthy is that, though? Like, it it actually was kind of mind-blowing when I had that realization for myself because it wasn't like I was even trying to fill my time up. I wasn't. It was like my default state was to listen or, like, crowd my brain with other things so I didn't have to have space to, to think. Yeah. What do you feel like it was serving? Like, what was the purpose of all that? I mean, I really think it was just to quiet all of the thoughts that I might not like um, or the feelings I might not like. Yeah. And I still fall into that habit now, but I'm a little more cognizant of it. So I do try to give myself at least some time during the day where I'm not listening to something. So whether that's like when I'm washing the dishes or folding clothes, I am a big proponent of meditation, but a regular meditation practice is hard for me to commit to because I don't like routine. But meditation is really helpful for this, like super helpful. But the other thing about meditation is the fact that this is a problem makes it hard to meditate. And for a long time when I started meditating, I thought I was doing it wrong. And I was like, I was literally turning over in my head how to meditate properly while I was trying to meditate. It was like, Mm -hmm. it was insane. Um, And once I realized that I needed to just chill out and like not try so hard, then I was able to at least sometimes release thoughts and like just chill. Yeah. I think a lot of people end up giving up on meditation because for that very reason, you're like, I'm not good at this. I'm not doing it right because I'm supposed to be not thinking about anything or whatever. It's a lot of like supposed to be's and shoulds and all of that. And then your mind ends up thinking about what you need to do later or, you know, what's going on at work or with your friends or. A hundred percent. But just like going to the gym and trying to run 10 miles, you can't run 10 miles to begin with. You have to start with a mile. It's the same with meditation. Like the longer you can go between thoughts, the better off you are in the long run. Just takes practice. Are there any meditation apps or like resources that you really like? Well, I know that Calm and Headspace are the two that are most often recommended, but Insight Timer is my favorite. Also, I will say that my favorite informal meditation is just to put binaural beats on while I'm, you know, again, washing the dishes or taking a walk Mm -hmm. or it's music where you hear two different tones in each ear. And it's supposedly good for your brain. I just find it very calming. And also it's enough noise that it quiets my mind without having extra thoughts in there. So that's really helpful for me. Um, They have playlists on Spotify, and you can find a bunch of stuff on YouTube as well. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I haven't ever heard of that one. The types of meditations I've done before that I do really like are like guided story ones where they're telling me where to go Mm -hmm. in my mind, like 
there, one of my favorite ones is like a spaceship one that I actually have done for a couple of friends before where you like imagine yourself walking up to this spaceship. And so it's like your mind is creating like, what does this spaceship look like? Uh, it gives your brain something to focus on. Yes. And I do really enjoy those. Yeah. Um, That's a, I mean, I would say guided meditation is a great way to get started if you are struggling with just being quiet. Yeah. On that note, what would you say that your healthy coping mechanisms look like? Going to therapy is definitely, definitely a big one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if I'm feeling overwhelmed or having like a lot of anxiety, I'll lay on the floor and like take a lot of deep breaths, which really helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. Exercise, like going on long walks. I think those are probably the main ones. What about you? I would say that... Taking a hot shower is definitely one of my coping mechanisms for sure. Love that. Putting on music, moving my body, Mm -hmm. and sometimes just honestly like talking it out, like vocalizing whatever's happening is really big for me. Yeah. I forget to do that a lot. Like I just get stuck in my head and I turn it over and over and over and I forget to actually talk to anybody about it. But if I can talk it out, sometimes that is enough and I... I'm like done processing by the time I'm finished talking. Yeah. I would say journaling too sometimes is I'm super resistant to it for whatever reason, but when I actually do it, it's very helpful. And it's a way, yeah, to just like get it out. I think journaling is really good for me, especially on the like bigger issues. I might not know where to start with, with something if it's too big. And sitting down and journaling, just like whatever comes to mind around that topic can be a really good place to start. I feel like in general, self-awareness is such a big part of this because if I wasn't able to spot my own patterns, then I wouldn't have any ability to correct them. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like journaling is a really good way to, especially when you're all mixed up about something, it's a good way yeah. to take a high-level view and then be able to pull out individual threads that you can work through. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through life being completely unaware that they even have patterns. Which is crazy to me because I feel like all I think about is how I deal with things. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's why we have a growth podcast. Yeah. Are there any coping strategies you have that you don't necessarily think are healthy, but that you do anyways? Yes, actually. I didn't mention this, but I feel like one of my numbing techniques can sometimes be overeating. I think it used to be overeating often. And before I wasn't realizing I was doing it. Now, sometimes I still feel the need to eat my feelings. But I realize before I do it that I'm, you know, headed in that direction. And sometimes I still do it because it makes me feel better. And like, yeah, giving myself the permission to just be like, I'm gonna eat Cheetos because I feel sad. (laughs) It really opens up the sinuses so you can have a good cry. I mean, exactly. But yeah, just giving myself the permission to know that like, yes, I want food to comfort myself, but I'm not going to make myself feel bad about it. I'm just going to do it and move on. I feel like that's really freeing. Yeah, totally. It's like a more conscious way to do a maybe not so good behavior. And I would imagine like just in general with um, having self-awareness about your coping strategies, probably helps alleviate any like shame or guilt that you would potentially attach to those. Yeah. Um, Like everybody has to have some way to cope with stuff. So yeah, 
I mean, yeah, let's move towards some healthier ones. But also, I just don't think it's realistic to think that you're ever going to not numb or not avoid or not self-soothe in ways that are sometimes unhealthy. Definitely. And I don't know. I mean, it's your body's natural reaction, I think, to protect you. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about this, but I think that sometimes those behaviors come from what we learn as children and what we see as children, namely from our parents. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it was funny the other night in our ladies night last week, we were doing table topics and the question was, what are things that you don't talk to your family about? (laughs) And I think a lot of people were like, it's a very long list. What do I talk to my family about? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think we both definitely come from families who struggle to talk about their feelings. And when you grow up in that, it takes a lot of learning and a lot of practice to even to start to talk about your feelings in in other relationships um, as well as your family unit. Yeah. I feel like I learned at, from a young age that when you're uncomfortable, you just avoid the situation in order to not feel uncomfortable. And so now sometimes when I start to feel uncomfortable, I just immediately avoid whatever it is. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because in situations like romantic relationships, I've rewritten that pattern. Like, I don't feel that with Seb at all. Mm-hmm. I I don't ever hesitate to talk to him about a hard topic, but I still revert to that same patterning with my birth family. Totally. Yeah, I think that's super normal. Because, yeah, I would say with Taylor, I don't... I, we both are avoidant in conflict, and so it takes work and effort on both of our parts to, like, engage in things that make us, us uncomfortable, but we're both, like, super willing to do it. But in my own family, like, when I'm with them, even though I know that all of us have, like, done our own work and have grown in individual ways for whatever reason when you're back with that unit where you developed all these patterns, it's so hard. It feels impossible to break it because – it's just not what's expected or... Yeah. I wouldn't even know where yeah. to start. Totally. Another big one that I do is deflecting. Um, mm-hmm. You're I, the queen of deflection. <laughs> I wear that crown with pride. Um, yeah, I... I mean, it, I do truly enjoy like getting to know other people and um, and asking a lot of questions but it definitely serves an alternative purpose of me not having to talk about myself. Why do you feel like you need to deflect? Honestly, I think it's because in my family, I grew up as an observer and not necessarily someone who was, not that I didn't talk, like I definitely did, but um, I think I grew up as an observer And that just put me in a role where I paid attention to other people and not myself. And so the idea of drawing attention to myself feels very uncomfortable to me. Okay. Um, And that bleeds into a lot of things in my life of like, I hate talking in front of a group. With weddings, I hate the idea of walking down the aisle and everybody staring at me. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) I hate it. It gives me anxiety. My my palms are sweating just thinking about it. I Um, mean, I have 
stage fright, but I did not at all apply that to my wedding. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So you can get past it. it it's might, not the same it thing. Might be a, it might be a standalone thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just easier for me to go through life without people knowing all my personal things that I might feel shame around or give people the opportunity to judge me if they know too much. I also think I got into this role of kind of being mysterious. You um, are mysterious. Like being quiet and whatever. And I really like held on to that. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. It's just natural. It's not something I, it's like breathing. <laughs> <laughs> Another one that I thought of that I use sometimes is withdrawal from like social settings. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling anxious or if I'm having a hard time coping with something, then I will tend to like pull away from sometimes all types of settings, but also sometimes just like whatever specific to that um, situation. Yeah. So rather than dealing with it, it's a different type of avoidance. It's like, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I have to deal with these feelings or this discomfort. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that could get tricky because it also sounds to me like putting a boundary in place. Mm. Yeah. But I don't, I think, I think the difference is I'm not doing it in a conscious, healthy way. I'm not doing it for the purpose of maintaining my personal boundaries or space. I'm doing Mm -hmm. it because I just strictly don't want to deal with whatever the situation is. Yeah. It's not contributing to like a long lasting positive outcome. It's just providing you instant relief. Right. Exactly. Um, Gotcha. The other thing too is we haven't talked about, you know, some of the major numbing factors like, you know, alcohol, drugs, gambling, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that I never have abused this, but I do find alcohol to help my social anxiety. So like that's something that I can sometimes lean on. It's a coping mechanism that I sometimes have. If I am very, very anxious in a social setting, I will go ahead and have a glass of wine for that express purpose. Would you consider that an unhealthy one? I wouldn't say it's the healthiest way to cope, you know, but I also don't think it's like problematic enough for me to change because it's not like I'm having six drinks a night. It's like just taking an edge off. Yeah, totally. You're not walking into a party and down in seven shots to right, exactly <laughs> to make it through the night. Yeah, it's just a way that I know relaxes me immediately. Yeah, definitely, and that's why that self awareness piece is so important. Yeah, that's a good like way that. to yeah a good point. It's like one of those conscious ways I'm using a maybe less than healthy version of a coping mechanism. Yeah. Well, we would love to hear about your own personal coping mechanisms. We all have them, so it would be super interesting to hear from some of you all. You can email us at likeheartedpodcast at gmail.com. Or follow along at likeheartedpod on Instagram. Talk to you next week. See ya.